Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to have these moments together in worship and prayer and praise. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Tim Shorey, one of the pastors of Risen Hope Church, and uh, it is my privilege to open up God's Word to you now. This morning, we're going to do another message on the topic of prayer. Uh, as taken from the the book of acts what i'm what i'm calling spirit life in the church spirit life in the church a house of prayer a house of prayer what if you'd turn in your bibles to acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 you'll want your bible in hand and ready to turn to a number of different texts as we proceed in our message today. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, this verse comes to us right on the heels of the recent conversion of thousands on the day of Pentecost. Those that were added to the church, they had come to faith in the recently crucified and risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a description of the life of the early church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This, these are the things to which the earliest Christians were deeply and profoundly committed. Acts 2 and verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I'll turn over a page to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise, rise up, and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter's words, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, may not look like a prayer, but that's essentially what those words are. Peter is calling upon the name, the authority, the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to heal this man. And in this instance, 
Peter, most likely by an inner working of the Spirit of God upon his mind and upon his heart, Peter is confident that a healing is going to happen and is so confident that the Lord Jesus Christ is hearing his words that Peter blends prayer to Christ with a command to this man, Arise and walk. I I want us to pray now for such power, such power to come upon this message and upon our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who has a name above every name our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we are living in a time during which our nation continues to reel and rock in a storm of crisis. Would you please help us? May we run to you and lean on you and look to you for peace and safety and righteousness in all the land. May the mighty name and authority of Christ prevail. We come to you in a time, a time when not just leaders of the land, but those who are supposed leaders of the church, some well-known, continue to fall and fail in their alleged faith and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we we pray. We pray for spiritual leaders in our generation that will be men and women of God, men and women of godliness, men and women of commitment to holiness and purity and humility and grace. Father, when we see all around us and hear about those who abuse power and position and influence for their own carnal and fleshly interest. Lord, our hearts grieve, grieve over the sins that are committed and grieve over the people against whom those sins are committed, those who are the victims and survivors of abuse, of adultery, of predatory behavior, of oppression. Lord, Oh, would you please have mercy. Mercy on those who are seeking healing from abuse and misuse by others. Lord, this is a prayer for the power of your grace to be poured into our lives. And it's a prayer, Lord, that the power of the Spirit of God would take this message about prayer and bring it home with tremendous force to our hearts, with tremendous conviction to us that we will see that we are, we are dealing here in this message with matters of supreme importance and significance. Lord, grant us power, power to hear. And as I think, O oh Lord, of the dear flock that you have entrusted 
to those who are the pastors of this church, I, I think of uh, Peter's words, silver and gold I do not have. Um, we do not have. But we do have this in the name of Jesus Christ. May we hear His Word and may we be changed by it. And let all the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Well, for those that have been with us through recent weeks and months, we are continuing to expound the book of Acts through a series of messages that shows us what happens when the Spirit of God falls upon and fills the church. And in our series this far, we have seen, among other things, that we will yet see in the next few weeks, that when the Spirit falls upon and fills the church, Jesus-centered love and worship happens, reverent holiness happens, signs and wonders happen, evangelism happens, encouragement happens, boldness happens, availability to go where people are and to tell people who are different from us about Jesus, that happens, a readiness to endure through many tribulations, that happens, and prayer happens. Prayer happens. When the Spirit of God falls upon and fills the church, prayer happens. If if you want to know what Risen Hope Church is about and what Risen Hope Church is going to be about in the months and years to come, then I would encourage you to hear this series of messages as our mission and commitment statement. We are committed to obeying the mandates, and we are committed to reproducing the model of the book of Acts as closely as we can by the power and by the Spirit of the living God. And so in all of these ways that we have described of the things that happen when the Spirit falls upon and fills the church, these are our ambitions. This is our goal. This is who we will pr- proceed to, by the grace of God, proceed to become more and more. Now we want to return to a theme in the book of Acts that our brother Rick preached on back, I think it was in December, the the theme of prayer. My aim in this message is not to redo uh, Rick's message. It was an exceptional message, excellent message. I encourage you to re-listen to it and be affected by it. No, the goal is not to redo it. Uh, it is my goal to revisit some of the things that Rick said and then reinforce it uh, and to show you today how these things are going to be applied, God willing and God enabling us, how these things about prayer are going to be applied in the life of our church in the months and years to come. I want to I start with a few reflections on prayer itself. And these are just preparatory and, and hopefully will set the stage for some of what we see in the book of Acts. Dear ones, the, the longer I live and the more that I engage in life and ministry and 
the more that the spirit and the church culture impacting force of God's holy word impacts me, the more I realize that prayer is absolutely essential as a centerpiece of the life of the church. Prayer is not an add-on. It is not one ministry among many. It is not a ministry that some people feel called to while others are called differently. No, prayer is essential for the whole of our life together as the people of God. We are simply not a New Testament church if we are not a praying church. And nothing good, nothing of any lasting value will ever happen without devotion to prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I would suggest to you, I would suggest it humbly, I would suggest it as an incentive for self-reflection for each one of us and for us collectively as a church. If being a house of prayer is not one of the first things that we think about when we think about Risen Hope Church, if, if being a house of prayer is not one of the first things we think about when we think about Risen Hope Church, I believe we need a renewed vision and a, an adjusted set of priorities and commitments. If being a house of prayer is not what we first think about, if it's not what others first think about when we or they think about Risen Hope Church, then I believe it is needed that we, we, we think about, we reflect, we consider what does that say? about us. This message here is not a message about prayer. It is a call to prayer. This is not instruction to help us understand the nature and the logistics of prayer, but this is a strong, and I hope and pray, a clear clarion call to an actual devoted doing of prayer in a church-shaping kind of way. I am delivering to you what God has declared to us, I believe in His Word, that prayer is the life behind the life of the people of God. Prayer is the life, the commitment that is behind, that is beneath, that is around, that is over all that the people of God do together in their life as a church. Whatever else we might be doing, however else we might be serving, whatever other causes or commitments we might have, we must be much about prayer. And I don't think we can exaggerate this. It would be very hard to overstate the role of prayer in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. There are how many chapters in Acts? Those who have been reading through Acts throughout this series, you will know there are 28 chapters in Acts. In those 28 chapters in Acts, there are 35 references to prayer. 35 times 
prayer is mentioned or it is modeled. It is done 35 times in just 28 chapters. Think about it. Jesus Jesus once told his disciples, told the apostles who became the leaders of his church upon his return to heaven. Jesus told his apostles in Luke 18 and verse 1, people ought always to pray. They ought always to pray and not to faint. And the book of Acts is tells us how the apostles applied and obeyed that mandate. Jesus said to his apostles, people ought always to pray and not to faint. And the apostles obeyed that. They applied that. We see how they obeyed and applied it in the book of Acts and how they applied it consistently. They always prayed and never fainted in the process. I do think, I think there's something significant in our Lord's words when He says to us that we ought always to pray and not to faint. The fact that He tells us, encourages us not to faint is an indicator to us that prayer is difficult, that prayer is challenging, that there are aspects to prayer that are tiring and discouraging. If in no other way, uh, prayer can be tiring and discouraging when we pray for certain things that we have prayed for time and again. I can think of a dozen things in my life that I've been praying for for months and for years without yet receiving the answer that I desire. The Lord has not yet given that for which I pray. But my Lord says to me, Tim, you ought always to pray and not faint. You see, in the the practice of prayer, God does not always exercise His power in the way that we want. In the exercise of prayer, God does not always exercise His power in the way that we want, but He does always exercise His wisdom in the way that we need. He doesn't always exercise His power in the way that we want, but He always exercises His wisdom in the way that we need. But it is that gap between what we want and what we need and how our prayers bump up against those things that perhaps uh, we don't want, but God thinks we do need. And that's when we need to hear Jesus' words that people ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to faint. I was reminded this week of a phrase. It's a, it's a beautiful phrase tucked into a couple of the books of the Bible that are probably least read by the people of God, the, the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers. In those books, there are various times when various offerings are said to be a sweet aroma to God. 
when the aroma of those burnt offerings wafted upward to God and it was a pleasing scent to Him. And that made me think of Revelation chapter 5 which says that there are golden bowls full of incense in the presence of God right now and that that incense is the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Folks, that's not talking about some super class of saints. Saint Peter, Saint Paul, Saint Stephen, Saint Bartholomew, Saint whoever. No, it's talking about you and me, we who are the people of God. Saint Tim and, and Saint Pat and Saint Karen and put your name in there. If you love Jesus, you are Saint that person. And our prayers are an incense arising in the presence of God for His pleasure and for His delight. And I was thinking of children as I was pondering this truth this week. If you're a child who, who loves Jesus, a little one who loves Jesus, a young person who loves Jesus, then you are a saint in God's eyes. You are special to Him. And every time you pray, young friend, every time you pray, even if you don't get what you ask for, your prayer, just like a, a candle aroma ascends in your home, or your prayer ascends to your Heavenly Father. It is like incense, a a candle burning where the aroma goes heavenward. Your prayer is precious to Jesus, precious to our Lord. And the same is true for all of us. No matter how old or young we may be, our prayers, no matter how powerless they may feel, no matter how unanswered they might seem, no matter how ignorant we may feel about how to pray and what to pray for, no matter how stumbling and bumbling and faltering our prayers may be, no matter how many times it may feel like our prayers are are going up and then bouncing off the ceiling and right back at us, no matter how many times it may feel like the, the heavens, like the prophet puts it, the heavens are made out of brass. The reality is that our prayers drift upward and waft heavenward into the very throne room of God as a sweet aroma, a spiritual incense that fills His heart with pleasure and with delight. We want to be a church like the New Testament church. It was given to that much prayer. That kind of prayer. Sweet aroma prayer. It wafts heavenward so that whenever we're together in whatever it is that we are doing, as we pray together in that and over that, that prayer once again ascends, once again reaches God and is sweet, sweet to His heart. We are so aware in these days of our need to pray and not faint that we are committing as 
pastors, as elders, to something of a prayer campaign and a new commitment, a fresh recommitment to prayer as a primary dimension of our life together as a church. And this message is part of a focused commitment to that life of prayer that is going to mark us God willing and God enabling more than ever before. We have been a praying church and I thank God for all the praying saints in this place. But much of our prayer has gone on behind the scenes in smaller groups and smaller contexts and and we we believe that God is calling us both to those smaller contexts and to the larger contexts that we would become together corporately, congregationally, people of prayer. Now before I get to more of that, let me just, let me just answer three questions uh, briefly in the book of Acts. Prayer, uh, question number one is, what is prayer? Question number two, when should we pray? And then question number three, where should we pray? What is prayer? When should we pray and where should we pray? I'm going to go through these ever so quickly. Uh, So try to keep up with me if you can. Nothing new here, nothing fancy here, nothing deeply theological here. But I trust this will be faithful to the Word of God. And through the name and authority and power of Jesus, it will become powerful in our lives. So question number one is, what is prayer? What is prayer? prayer at its at its root at its core what is prayer and i think we we get a partial answer just from the words that are used in the book of acts and throughout the scriptures prayer is calling out to god prayer is crying out to god it is asking making request pleading in short prayer is talking to god it's talking to god whether Audibly or internally, it is talking to God. Let me fill that out a bit. Prayer is talking to God. It's talking to God to praise His name, to plead His forgiveness, and to petition His help. Prayer is talking to God to praise His name, to plead His forgiveness, and to petition His help. Talking to God to praise His name, to plead His forgiveness, to petition His help with faith that He hears and openness to His response. With faith that He hears and openness to His response. Prayer is talking to God to praise Him, to plead His forgiveness, to petition His help with faith that He hears and with an openness to His response. This is what we see in the book of Acts. The early church frequently talked to God. They praised His name. They pled for His forgiveness. They petitioned His help in many ways. They believed that He heard their words and they were open to His response, either in answering the prayer for which they asked or by giving them some kind of direction and guidance by His Spirit. Prayer is talking to God to praise His name, to plead His 
forgiveness, to petition His help with faith that He hears. That He hears. Wherever we are, and whoever we're with, with, and whatever our circumstances, when we call out, He hears. He hears. With faith that He hears. And in openness to His response. What is prayer? That is prayer number two. When should we pray? When should we pray? Answer number one is all the time. All the time. Flip back to chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. All these, speaking about the twelve apostles and others and the women who were part of that earliest gathering of believers, all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. They were committing themselves consistently and perseveringly to prayer. They were always in prayer. In chapter 6 and verse 4, the apostles, the spiritual leaders of the church at that time said, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. By the way, if you want to pray for your pastors, if you want to pray for your spiritual leaders, here is something that you can pray for that might be one of the most important things for you to pray for for us. Pray for us that we will pray for you. How's that? You pray for us that we will pray for you. Pray for us that in the midst of all that's going on, all the busyness, all the stuff that's going on in this world, and all the changes and challenges of our church, pray for us that we will pray for you. The Apostle Peter said we must, as spiritual leaders, be devoted to prayer. And we as your pastors must be devoted to to prayer. Pray for us that we will never forget prayer and that we will pray for you at all times. And then you have in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2 reference to a man named Cornelius who was a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. He prayed continually to God. Now some of the kids listening right now may be thinking, wow, does that mean he prayed all the time? Like that's all he ever did? He never did anything else? No, that's not what it means. It means that he never stopped praying. Um, now, think of it like this. There have been times, there have been times when I have stopped eating. There have been times when I've stopped eating. I've pushed the food away. I've left the table. I stopped eating. But I have never stopped eating. Do you get the difference? I have never quit eating. I still eat consistently. I still eat regularly. I still eat substantially. 
eating is still very much a part of my life. There have been moments where I stopped eating because I had to do other things, but I have never stopped. I've never quit eating. There will be times when we have to stop praying because there are other things the Lord wants us to do, but let us never stop praying. Men ought always to pray. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is is to be like food for us or breathing for us. Something we do consistently. Something we know we cannot live without. We must pray at all times. We must also pray at appointed times. At appointed times. This, in fact, is the point of the verse we started with in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. If you just go back there for a moment, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Notice, notice that the word prayer is, is plural, prayers, and it's, it's preceded by the definite article, the, the prayers. That is to say, there were prayers, prayer times, prayer hours, scheduled prayer times and hours that they were devoted to. The early Christians didn't just pray all the time, they, tra- they prayed at specific times. Notice in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, the verse we read earlier, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. At the hour of prayer, an appointed time for the people of God to pray and to pray together. In Acts chapter 10, in verses 9, and then again in verse 30, Peter is praying at the ninth hour, which is the hour of prayer. You see, early believers were in consistent prayer with appointed times for prayer, as well. Prayer was a way of life, and prayer was by appointment and plan. They prayed constantly, and they prayed at specific times. Both of these types of prayers are essential for a healthy Christian life. We need to be praying constantly, almost breathing prayers, and that that enhances our sense of relationship with God wherever we are whatever we're doing wherever we're driving just breathing out prayers praying constantly it enhances our sense of relationship but we also need times that are appointed times of prayer not just prayer hours but fasting and prayer prayer days where we commit to prayer we need that prayer that is constant enhances our relationship with God, prayer that is appointed, that is scheduled, that deepens our relationship with God. It brings into our lives regular, consistent times where we go deeper in prayer together. Now if we were to go on in the book of Acts and really take the time, which we don't have, we'll we'll realize that the early church 
didn't just pray all the time. They prayed at appointed times, but they also prayed in times of crisis, in times of mission, in times of illness, in times of distress, in times of division, in times of stress. It would appear, given all the different contexts in which they prayed, that prayer was as natural and normal and consistent and necessary as breathing was and is to us. So if someone was sick, they prayed like a good many of you did this past Wednesday evening. Thank you so much for joining in that appointed time of prayer for me and uh, for me with the physical ailments and issues that are going on and have been going on for quite some time. That is very New Testament-ish. And I thank God for your prayers. If someone was persecuted, they prayed. If somebody was in prison, they prayed. If they were about to go on a dangerous journey, they prayed. If they were about to be left behind and not go on that journey, they prayed. If they needed more pastors, they prayed. If they needed more mission workers, they prayed. If they needed ministry and mission direction, they prayed. If they needed courage, if they needed signs and wonders, if they mir needed miracles and deliverance, if they needed demons to be bound and banished, they prayed. I know there are among us here at Risen Hope Church, there are among us those who think like this and pray like this. Prayer is very natural, very instinctive. You might even say very pervasive in the lives of a number of us. And I have to ask myself the question, am I, am I one of that number? Am I one of that number? I do know this. I do know this. Well, I... I will guess this, but I think it's a significant, uh, uh, accurate guess that uh, I have prayed more in this past year uh, than perhaps any previous year of my life. Desperate, desperate personally for the grace of God. Desperate congregationally for the mercy of God. We need to pray. Men and women, young people and children ought always to pray and not to faint. This is the life of a true New Testament church. And then third question, where should we pray? Where should we pray? Two quick answers. Number one, we should pray in secret. Us, each one of us, alone with God, like Peter in Acts chapter 10, up on a rooftop by himself, praying and pouring out his heart, God or Saul recently converted soon to become Paul is by himself we read in Acts chapter 9 in a house praying there is prayer that should go on in secret but there is a second answer where should we pray we should pray with each other with each other Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 all of these went up together to the upper room with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer. They were together in the upper room. Acts 4 verse 23, when Peter and John were released from arrest, they went to their friends. They went to the church and they lifted their voices together in prayer. In Acts 12 and verse 12, when Peter was 
rescued by God from prison. He went to the house where many were gathered together, where many were gathered together and were praying. When the Spirit falls upon and fills believers, there will be an impulse to gather together to pray. Sometimes they did this in houses. Sometimes they did this at the temple. We read in Acts 16 of a, of a riverside that was a place of prayer at that point, even for people who had not yet come to faith in Jesus. But it was a place of prayer. It's where people gathered to pray. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is telling us how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. How to behave, what to do when we're together as God's people. And in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy and verse 1, we read these words. If your Bible's not there, turn there. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. First of all then, First of all, as he, as he begins to unpack what he says in chapter 3 is how to conduct ourselves in the, in the house of God. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, like a sweet aroma ascending to Him. For he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, Paul writes. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now listen to this. I desire then... The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, telling us how to conduct ourselves in the house of God when we're gathered together as the people of God. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Listen to this. I will that in every place men and women should pray and they should, the men should pray lifting holy hands with, without anger or quarreling. The women should pray Pray in modesty and self-control. Men and women in every place, wherever the church is gathered, should be praying. This is a call to universal and consistent practice of corporate prayer. And that can happen in many different places and ways. It can happen in individual homes. It can happen in a church building. It can happen in a barn. It can happen anywhere. But Paul says, I will therefore Everywhere that men and women pray. That is how, that is how we become a house of prayer. Realizing 
realizing that whenever and wherever the church is gathered, and whenever and wherever and for whatever purpose the church might be seeking to reach out or do some good work of some sort, prayer needs to happen. Earnest prayer, prayer that is without fainting, needs to happen. Our, our history as a church has included much prayer. We have monthly prayer times for mission, for prophecy ministry. We have a prayer force where I don't even know how many people are on that list that is just praying for various needs. We have community groups that are committed to prayer. We have pastoral prayer in our elders' meetings where we consistently pray for folks. There are Sunday intercessory prayers. There's been pre-worship prayer. But we are committed even to more. To this end, uh, we are opening up in our new building, uh, what we're calling our, our Risen Hope Church um, War Room Prayer Chapel. Uh, it's, a, it's a small room that will be uh, quickly outgrown, we believe, by a number of folks who are going to, to be joining together in prayer. Um, we're going to uh, start, uh, in a way it started this past Wednesday night with that special season of prayer, um, but we're, we're, we're committing to uh, two phases in our dedication to a life of prayer together. And by the way, um, we have asked uh, Danette Mitchell to, to help us in thinking through some of the strategies and implementation of this. The Lord has given her a huge heart uh, for prayer and faith for prayer and uh, she has already helped us with some really good ideas in this regard. And we are, we are anticipating God's blessing. So phase one of this is between now and uh, the day we move into our new location. And it's, it's going to include four consistent Wednesday evening prayer times where we gather for prayer via Zoom. And simultaneously, there will be prayer going on in at least some of the community groups. This past Wednesday, there was prayer for me. And again, thank you very much for that needed prayer. This coming Wednesday, we're going to be praying for God to bless our outreaches in our current communities, women's space, bridge, discovery, Bible studies, street evangelism, and then our saturate campaign where we're going to be distributing 10,000 door hangers uh, in the surrounding communities of our new location. We want to pray this coming Wednesday for the power of God to come down upon us in our outreach. And then in the third week, uh, we are going to be praying for revival, for a fresh wind of the Spirit of God to blow upon us, for another Pentecost to happen. It's not enough that we preach Acts, uh, the book of Acts and the themes of Acts. We need to pray for Acts to happen again among us. Amen? Oh, I, I know many of your hearts are saying amen to that. Then in the fourth week, we're going to be praying for God to prepare hearts in our both our old communities and in our new communities. 
Back to the prayer room, one of the things that uh, we hope to do is to actually get that to be perhaps the, the room in the building that is prepared for use before any other room is prepared. We want to use that even before we worship there, gather people together for prayer. So phase one is these four weeks of prayer. Phase two, after our move-in date, there will be regular Sunday morning prayer times in the prayer chapel as, as people gather to pray that God's power would come upon the preaching of the Word and the worship of God's people. We will probably be doing a study of a book on prayer in our community groups. We will be continuing to pray for world missions and prophecy and bridge and other outreach. We'll be continuing the practice that we have had to have at least a couple, if not uh, three or four times a year where we fast and pray for each other or for God's work among us. There will be frequent times for prayer for healing. We, We... by the grace of God, with the help of God, are committed, are committed to, to creating a culture and an atmosphere and a climate of prayer so that when people arrive, they will sense this is a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer. As I close, let me say this or let me ask this. How do we, how do we know that prayer works how do we know that it's not a waste of time well if you go back in your mind to acts chapter 3 and peter's words there what does he say in the name in the name of jesus christ rise up and walk in the name the authority the power of jesus christ Rise up and walk. You see, our prayers are heard and answered because we pray in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means first that when we pray, we approach God through Jesus and His atoning sacrifice as our covering. When we pray in Jesus' name, what we are saying is, O God in heaven, we know that we do not deserve to come to you and approach you in our own name. We need to come in the name and through the merits and the righteousness and the sacrifice of another. And because we have Jesus' sacrifice to bear to the throne of God, because we have Jesus' righteousness to cover us and all of the filthy rags of our own unrighteousness, we can approach the throne of grace boldly because we have such a high priest as this. To pray in the name of Christ is to pray with confidence in the power and virtue and excellence and merit of Christ. It is to come to God, not on our own, but to come to God through Him. To pray in the name of Christ is to pray in the name of that One whose name is above every name. It is is to pray knowing that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over everything. He is Lord over every circumstance and over every trial. To pray in the name of Jesus means that we believe that that name has authority 
in heaven and earth. And that he can command healing and regeneration power and deliverance and generosity and mission and gospel victory wherever and whenever he chooses. We pray in the name of Christ. And when we do, we are saying we come to you, God, through your Son alone. And we know, we know that he has all power to do everything for which we ask. This is a life of prayer. If you are a Christian, this is the life of prayer. Talking to God. Talking to God. Talking to God. And in talking to God, praising his name, pleading his forgiveness, petitioning, petitioning his help in faith that he hears with an openness to his response. This is the life to which he calls us individually and this is the life to which he calls us congregationally. Will you join us as a people of prayer that we might become a house of prayer? Oh, that God would work mightily among us in this day, even as he has in the past. Let's pray. Lord, oh Lord our God, we come boldly and confidently. We plead the name of Jesus. We plead the worth, the value, the merit of Jesus. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We do not dare to approach you without the covering of his righteousness and the washing of his blood. But believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, we do dare to approach you. And Father, we, we pray now that you would help us to pray always. We pray now that you would help us to pray always. That we will not faint. We will not lose heart. Thank you, Father. We know this is a prayer request that you want to answer. You are going to make us people of prayer. Thank you. We are bold to ask it, confident to believe it, and Father, we will wait upon it and we will act upon it. We will become people of prayer. And now, O oh Lord, as a closing prayer, I, I ask you to be with your people. Father, would you give peace and comfort and healing to every hurting heart? Would you please grant new faith for every doubting heart. Would you please stir up a spirit of prayer in every prayerless heart? Lord, be our God, our Father, our friend, our helper, our deliverer this day and this week. O Lord, we ask it in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God be with you. God bless you until we meet again. Amen.